Tonight we study the book of Daniel, and uh, we're going to spend some time going through. The first six are easy, the last six are impossible, and we'll try to cover them as we do it. Let's pray together, and we'll get started. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you for your providing grace that has gotten us to this point in the week. We recognize that by your hand and will, you have carried us and you have cared for us. You have loved us. You have provided. You have protected us in 10,000 ways we didn't even know about. Thank you for the friends that you've given us and the family around us. Thank you for a church that supports and walks with us. Thank you for the grace that is in Christ that holds us up. Lord, we pray for our children and their families, their moms and dads. We pray that Christ would be made real, that the Bible would be, would be known and consumed. I pray for our students that will hear the Bible taught. God, that they would be drawn close. We pray for all of those that are in English as a second language and studying Revelation. We pray that, that in every room where people are meeting with the Bible open, that you would be there to draw them close and strengthen hearts bring about repentance and change and health. And Lord, help us tonight as we study the book of Daniel. Give us even an even bigger view of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go to, let's go to your outline. You'll find it there in your notes. Uh, we're going to start with an introduction. I, I think that I have something different here than what you have there. Like, I think I have a one, two, four, three, five. What, what, if, if I give you a different number, and when we get there, y'all just tell me, okay? Uh, we'll probably have to skip a section and come back to it. Let's start with the introduction. The introduction. Daniel is the, is the smallest major prophet in the Bible. You read Isaiah, you read Ezekiel, you read Jeremiah. They are major prophets. Daniel's a major prophet, but it's only 12 chapters long. Won't take it long. Sit down and read the book of Daniel. You can get through it in about an hour, maybe an hour and a half or so. Daniel is written. Uh, all of the Old Testament is in Hebrew. All of the New Testament is in Greek. They're just a little piece of the Bible in a third language called Aramaic. Daniel is written in Hebrew and Aramaic. So I took, um, Hebrew was my favorite language topic in seminary. I found it easier than Greek. I don't know why. Uh, I just liked it better than I did Greek. And in fact, I was going to do a PhD in Hebrew. And I was studying Hebrew and had to go to Aramaic. Aramaic uses the same letters as Hebrew uses. So it looks just like it. Uh, but it's not just like it. Same letters, different language. And uh, I, I took one semester of Aramaic, staggered through the book of Daniel, or at least the parts that were written in Aramaic, and thought, I'm not going to do that anymore. You have two languages uh, right here in Daniel, written in Aramaic and Hebrew. Written at a time of crisis. Written in a time of exile. We went through Ezekiel last week. It's written at the same time. They're contemporaries. The same events going on in Jewish history. The same cataclysmic things that are happening. All throughout Daniel, you're going to find one predominant group of people called the Babylonians. One country 
country of Babylon. And Daniel is written when Babylon is at its absolute highest point. It had been, been low, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to bring Babylon. He's there for a long time, and Babylon is at its very highest point, and Jerusalem is decimated. In fact, uh, that's a good thing to, to talk about in the introduction. There are three rulers in Daniel. He lives, uh, Daniel starts, he's young, and it ends when he's old. So he, he sees a lot happen. Those of you that are 70 or 80, think about the presidents that you've seen in your lifetime. So Daniel sees three rulers. The big one is Nebuchadnezzar. That's chapters 1 through 4 is about Nebuchadnezzar. And then after Nebuchadnezzar is his son, Belshazzar, Belshazzar. Uh, that is chapter 5. And then after Belshazzar, he's going to die. We'll get to that in chapter 5. And after uh, Belshazzar, you have Darius the Mede. So you get Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, chapter 5, and then Darius the Mede, in chapter 6. And after chapter 6, uh, you have chapters 7 through 12, and it gets bizarre. And the best way to read chapter 7 through 12 is not to get down in to the, to the sandy, grassy, weedy part and look for the details. The best way to read chapter 7 through 12 is to see it as Daniel's vision of the future. What's going to happen in the future? That's chapter 7 through 12. That's the intro. Well, what do you have after the intro on your paper? Summary? Okay. I have setting. Let's go to the summary. Let me give you a summary. Um, well, in fact, if you have Daniel, why don't you open it up? Let's, let's use the Bible in, a, in this Bible study. Let's go to it. And the summary is really good. If you have 12 chapters, you know, you can sort of break some things down. So the summary starts like this. Chapter 1 begins with the Hebrew boys. Can you name them? Everybody knows that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's a great album um, that has all of these songs. You guys remember Louis Armstrong played the trumpet, jazz singer, all that stuff. Louis Armstrong and the Good Book. And he sings all these songs about Ezekiel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You ought to look it up on Spotify. Trust me. Louis Armstrong and the Good Book. You can send me thank you notes next week. <laughs> Chapter 1 begins, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged and we talked about a siege, a city that is walled up and the army circles around it and blocks any incoming food, blocks any water. People starve. People starve. Who's got the train phone? Turn it off. Yeah. All right. They point you. Betty, seriously, we've been praying for you. You were in the hospital and you bring that train phone back. You got it? All right. Like that glitter you're wearing ain't enough. Now you got to have a train phone too. Okay, so let's go back to Babylon. Ba the Babylonians have circled Jerusalem and there is a siege going on. That means uh, that food has been blocked, water has been blocked, people are going to die, they're going to eat 
horses, and then they're going to eat dogs, and then they're going to eat rats, and they'll end up eating their children. It is a terrible thing. Terrible. It's under siege. We sometimes walk by the word siege. The Babylonians have besieged Jerusalem. It is a terrible operation to the degree that Jerusalem will fall. And in 605, you can put that date down, 605, the very first deporting goes on. So, so verse 1 is from the unearthly perspective. Verse 2 is from a heavenly perspective. We, got, we need both perspectives to get through life. Got to have both. So verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's what it feels like. Verse 2 tells us what's actually going on. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So it feels like the Babylonian army, that they're doing all of this. Let's not forget that a sovereign God is not just sitting back letting things happen. He is actively, he is involved in the details. Okay, <clears throat> let's get to the children. The four Hebrew children. Verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the vessels of the house of God, he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. So the vessels that were in the temple of the Lord had been taken out and put into a pagan temple. And he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility. So these Hebrew children... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they are of a royal line. They are rich kids. They have lived a privileged life. And Nebuchadnezzar wants those privileged kids to come to his school. And that's what's going to happen. <clears throat> Youths without blemish. We want the best of the best. Youths without blemish blemish, good with a good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Let's pause and see the parallel. These four boys came up learning the ways of the Torah, learning how to worship God, who the one true God is. They've, they've learned what the book says. Now Jerusalem has fallen. They've been taken away from that. And now they are going to be brainwashed. They are sent to the new university where everything they have learned, everything they've been taught will be thrown out. If you can't see the parallel there of sending our children to schools and especially to the universities, there's a parallel. In fact, their names are going to be changed. Their food will be different. Their literature, they're going to be taught something completely different than what they learned at home. That's what's happening here with the Hebrew children. <clears throat> they learned the language. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, of the wine that he drank, they were to be educated for three years. It's the university. For three years, 
And at the end of that time, at graduation, they were to stand before the king. Now, here are their names. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Daniel, look at those names. Those are good Hebrew, Jewish, God-centered names. Several of those names have God in it. Their names have changed. The chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. All of those names reflect the pagan gods. So their names that we, that we remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were all pagan names. Their, their Jewish names were stolen. So from the very beginning, the identity has been taken from the Jewish people, from those that would worship God. Chapter 1 is about those Hebrew boys and their faithfulness. They're set up. They're set up for failure. They're set up to be tested. And if you keep on reading, you see in verse 8, Daniel is resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food, with the wine that he drank. And he asked, here, I mean, here, this is a dangerous thing. He's going to ask for a special dispensation to not have to eat like that. He negotiates and God provides. Chapter 1 is about those four Hebrew children, young boys. And don't think that the students and college students and high school students can't, can't stand, do it humbly and graciously and wisely, stand against the regime. You know, Connie uh, finally made it back from Mississippi. So I've been watching all those documentaries. And <clears throat> one of the things I do like to read about is World War II and especially in the Atlantic Theater and what happened with, uh, I'm always fascinated in a terrible way, how could Adolf Hitler brainwash so many people? How could I be convinced to do such atrocities? And in 39, when they came through and attacked Poland and they would start deporting the children out of Poland, they would take the young boys, if they had blonde hair, blue eyes, and even if they were Polish, they would take them to Germany and there you would have the boys' ranks. And they would be deprogrammed, everything they knew from being Polish to becoming German. I thought about that today when I was thinking about what the king was doing here and then how Daniel and those young boys stood up to that. What kind of guts does it take? Chapter 1 is right off the bat, as young men, them standing up to the regime. That's chapter 1. <clears throat> get past that and get to chapter 2. We meet Nebuchadnezzar and his dream. <clears throat> chapter 2, uh, you have his dream and the interpretations of it. I won't go through all of it. Um, what his dream is, and he can't find anybody to interpret the dream. Let's just get to verse 17 and kind of go through, and I'll read some of it. Daniel went to his house, and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his companions, and he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon because the wise men couldn't figure out the dream. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered, and here's what he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise Knowledge to those who have understanding. 
He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you that, you, that you have made known to us the king's matter. He goes and tells the king the interpretation, which is bizarre. It's in a bizarre interpretation. I'll give you part of it. If you have your Bible, uh, chapter 2, verse 37 and following. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. Notice how Daniel frames it. He's very respectful, but he's also saying, God gave this to you. <clears throat> verse 36, 7. You, O king, king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you ruler over them all. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the earth. There shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces, shatters all things, and like iron that crushes it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes partly of the potter's clay, partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw men saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle, as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they'll mix with... I mean, can you imagine being this king and hearing all this? Verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. So he, here's what he does. He, he takes the... He interprets the dream... He tells them about the four kingdoms, so the Babylonians, Medes and the Persians, the Greece, uh, the Greeks, and then the Romans, what you have there. If you have to line out the kingdoms, Babylonians, Medes and Persians, Greeks, Romans. That's what history tells us. And at the end of it, in verse 44, 45, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, I've interpreted the dream, but you need to know that at the end of all of these kingdoms, there's one kingdom that remains. The one kingdom. It's God's kingdom. That's what chapter 2 is about. <clears throat> chapter 3 gives us probably the most famous story. Chapter 3 is the fiery furnace. Chapter 3 is the test of, uh, of, of worship. You know the story. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. Breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates. You get everybody that's going to be there. And everybody's got to worship. And the herald proclaimed in verse 4. You are commanded, O peoples, nations, language, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, and the lyre, and the, and the trigon, the harp, and the bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down, worship the golden image.
King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And what happens is, <clears throat> the four Hebrew children won't do it. Verse 10, you, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews. I've got some tattletales. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pyre, and the, the, light, uh, the, the pipe, and the trigon, the harp, and the bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Daniel's not there. I don't know where Daniel is. The three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they answered and said, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of our hand, O king. Verse 18, most famous. When, when, when the world was literate, when the world was biblically literate, I don't mean Christian, 80, 100 years ago, when you learned to read, and a lot of it was Bible, you knew when you heard. And this little phrase, verse 18, but if not. In fact, you can Google that later. That's used at the, 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 the miracle of Dunkirk when they rescued the Allied, the, 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 the English uh, expeditionary force from the shores of France and the telegram, but if not. Comes from this right here. Knew the Bible. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, our God can do this and he will do this. But even if he doesn't, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So you know the story. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And way down in verse 25, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men. Now, if you were a Pentecostal, you would catch the Holy Spirit right there. <laughs> you would just caught the ghost right then when you heard me say that. He said, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the, a son of the gods. That's a beautiful story. Chapter 3 is famous for that story. You go and see how they're not touched by the fire. They don't smell like the smoke. And the, the bad guys are thrown in the fire. Chapter 3 is the beautiful story. There are six stories. We've covered three. Let's go to the fourth. Chapter, fourth is, uh, chapter 4 is the story of 
Nebuchadnezzar humbled by God. Nebuchadnezzar, the great mighty king of Babylon, the greatest power on earth. We, we can look back and read Roman history. We hear Alexander the Great. We, we forget that before Alexander the Great, Nebuchadnezzar. He's well known, not just in the Bible, in history. Other history, you can go to the, to the English Museum. You can see the, the British Museum, Babylonian history. And it centers around Nebuchadnezzar. He's responsible for the revival, for the hanging gardens of Babylon. And he knows it. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream again. That's the second dream. The dream is interpreted. And I'll just take you to some of the interpretation so we can get a picture of it. It's a long, chapter 4 is a long chapter. Verse 17, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers. This watcher from heaven has come. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. He gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So, here comes the humiliation. Down in verse 28. <clears throat> what's amazing to me is that, that Daniel interprets the dream, tells him this is what's going to happen to you. Tells him exactly what's going to happen. Verse 20, it's, it, verse 28, it's, it's long, but it's worth reading. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And hey, don't you love the, the drama in verse 30, 31? While the words were still in his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. You'll be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and he gives it to whoever he wants to. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. Driven from among the men, he ate grass like an ox. His body was wet. So he just went crazy. I mean, that's what happened. Just lost his mind. He uh, ate grass like an ox. The body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew out as long as eagle's feathers. His nails were like Bird's claws. I mean, what a thing to struck down, I guess for, I mean, a long period of time. At the end of the days, verse 34, now he got his sense back, he's first person again. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High. I guess he did. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his own will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. 
And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All his works are right. His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Learn it firsthand. What a great chapter. Chapter 4 is a story of the most powerful man on earth at the time. In the blink of an eye, being struck down, humbled by God. And there is some weird comfort. There's some strange comfort in knowing that God sometimes does that. That's chapter 4. Chapter 5 is uh, maybe the most interesting to me. Chapter 5 is about Belshazzar. I'm going to pick up the pace because chapter 7 through 12 are so bizarre. So these are the chapter 1 through 6 are easy and they're where the stories are. Chapter 5 is Belshazzar. That is, that is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son. So Nebuchadnezzar's gone. Belshazzar comes and Daniel is still there. He came as a teenager, 13 or 14 years old, right on the cusp of manhood. He's lived through Nebuchadnezzar, his whole adult life, Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler. Daniel is close. Daniel is an advisory. He interprets dreams. He was there when, when Nebuchadnezzar got his mind back together. Chapter 5, there's a feast going on. Join me there. Belshazzar <clears throat> made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. He drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, he commanded... I, there's some sort of weird vindictiveness here. He commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought. And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines, that they might drink from those holy vessels that were in the temple of the Lord. This, so this drunken party is going on. The king is showing by defiling the gods of the Hebrew. And they've taken out of the temple, <clears throat> verse 3. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines, they drank from them. They drank wine. They praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. And immediately... The fingers of a human hand. Now, how quick are you leaving this party? You see an undeta undetached hand comes up on a wall. This is a horror movie right here. So you see an undetached hand wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. The king saw the hand as it wrote. The king's color changed. Don't you love the vivid, I mean, you get to say, it's almost like you're there. So, the, so he goes white. <clears throat> the king's color changed. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. The king, I mean, here was once again God humbling this king. <clears throat> the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, bring in some of the witches, bring in the enchanters, <clears throat> the Chaldeans and the astrologers, the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple. 
have a chain of gold around his neck. He shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And all the king's wise men came in. They could not read the writing that's made known to the king of the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar is greatly alarmed. His color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen comes in. She's going to save the day finally. Let's get Daniel. There's a young man that your daddy used named Daniel. He was a high official back then. Let's bring him back. So Daniel comes in. He's a middle-aged man now. Maybe, maybe beyond middle age. And he comes in and interprets the dream. <clears throat> and he tells the king, I don't need your gifts. But here's what he tells him. About verse 17 or so. Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples and nations and languages trembled. They feared before him. When he would, he killed and whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne. He's, he's now preaching a sermon to Belshazzar. This happened to your father. Verse 21. <clears throat> he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast his dwelling was like the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and he sets over it whoever he wants and you his son Belshazzar, you've not humbled your heart though you knew all this but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. You and your lords and your wives and your concubines, you've drunk wine from them. You've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, of wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God of whose hand is, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you've not honored. So here comes the interpretation, verse 25. This is the meaning of the writing inscribed. Many, many, tickle parson. Many, many, tickle parson. Memorize that. Many, many, tickle parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. That's bad news, by the way. God has numbered the days of your kingdom, brought it to an end. Verse 27. Tickle, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. That's the phrase I remember the most, I think. You've been weighed in the balance, found wanting. And then Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar gave the command. Daniel was clothed, purple and chain of gold put around his neck. Proclamation was made. He should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. So he didn't just give the interpretation God brought judgment. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom 
being about 62 years old. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, his son, Darius the Mede. Chapter 6. Another story. Chapter 6 is the sixth story. And it's another famous one. <clears throat> it is Daniel in the lion's den. Chapter 6, Daniel is an old man. He's past middle age. He's probably 75, 80 years old. Age has crept up on him. He's not young anymore. He didn't walk very fast. And still he's having to stand. Still he's having to prove himself. There's a new man on the throne. His name is Darius. And Darius, it pleased him to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. We find that Daniel is one of the colleagues. There are 120 men that are ruling the kingdom. Daniel is one of the respected men providing rulership. People get jealous of Daniel. And they accuse Daniel. Verse 6. These high officials and the satraps came by agreement to the king. They conspired together. And they said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, they've all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance, enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. Now, king, establish the injunction. Sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians and the Persians. Now, when I lived in Mississippi, there's an old man who used to say something, and he would say, to, to, to tell you he was telling the truth, he would say, that's the Medes and the Persians. And you had to be biblically literate to know what is he talking about. He means it is irrevocable. If you say, hey, look, I've, I'm putting this down. This is the law of the Medes and the Persians. That means it cannot be changed. That comes from right here. You have to have biblical literacy to know that. Therefore, King Darius... <clears throat> Signed the document, an injunction. When Daniel knew, here he is, an old man, even when he knew what it's going to cost him, look at verse 10, he goes three times. I'm going to do this so everybody can see. Of course, Darius didn't want to kill him. But he don't want to bad enough to keep him from doing it because remember, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians. It's irrevocable. Even the king can't go back on it. They put him in the lion's den. <clears throat> and the, the, I guess the climax is down in verse 19 or so. At the break of day, the king rose, went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then, the Daniel, said, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. The way that Louis Armstrong sings it, uh, the angel with a snow white wing came down to the lion's den. They have the angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then the king throws some people they were responsible for Daniel being there into the lion's den and before they can hit the ground, they're ate up. That's the moral of the story in chapter 6. 
So Darius the Mede, Daniel's an old man, lion's den. That's chapter 6. Let's put chapter 7 and 8 together. I'll, I'll go quickly now. Chapter 7 starts the apocalyptic language. It sounds a whole lot like the book of Revelation because it is pointing to the future and the end. From chapter 7 to chapter 12, it's about the end, the end of time. So, verse 7 and 8, uh, Daniel has visions. He has visions during Belshazzar's reign about the rise of other earthly kingdoms in chapter 7 and 8. That's what chapter 7 and 8 is about, other earthly kingdoms that will rise. Chapter 9 is one long prayer. It's a prayer that Daniel offers up during Darius' reign. So if you read chapter 9, it is one long prayer while Darius the Mede is king. And he, in that prayer, Daniel knows that the 70 years of exile for the children of Israel are almost over. And he prays for God's deliverance in chapter 9. So 7 and 8, visions of other kingdoms that are rising. Chapter 9, a prayer for deliverance. 70 years are almost up. And then chapter 10, 11, and 12 are more of the vision, like one long vision about the end of time. That's chapter 10, 11, and 12, vision about the end of time. Okay, that's a summary. I gave you a summary because I wanted you to have, like you can walk out tonight and say, I know what Daniel's about. There's six stories. I got, I got the six stories right here. Daniel. Okay, so what do, you, what do you have on your note sheet after summary? I already gave you a bunch of the setting, haven't I? I mean, you, you sort of got it, right? The setting. Uh, the thing about this book is that it tells us that, that, that everything changes. Like for Daniel, he's been deported. Nebuchadnezzar powerful man, he's going to die. Belshazzar, powerful man, he's going to die. Darius, Cyrus, everything changes, but God remains the same. That's some of the, what I want to get out of the setting. So let me, do you have Christ in Daniel, the next one? Do you have that? Okay, let's just point out a couple of spots where you see Daniel is so vividly Christ-centered. It's vividly apocalyptic in that it points to the end, but Christ is there. I mean, don't you think he was there like in the fiery furnace, the one like the son of the gods? He's there. All right, so chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 is the person of Christ. The person of Christ. Chapter 7, he's having a vision here. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples, all nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. All of the visions will see earthly kingdoms and they will be overcome by the kingdom of Christ. Here's the person of Christ. Let me show you the work of Christ in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 24 and following. What is the work of Christ? Chapter 9, verse 24. <clears throat> Seventy weeks are decreed about your people 
your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off, shall have nothing. <clears throat> and the people and the prince who has come, who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and the end shall be war. Desolations are decreed. He shall make a strong covenant with the many for one week, and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So one who makes desolate probably going to be Rome until the coming of Christ. So you have there the work, all of the atonement, verse 24, and then the consummation at the end of verse 27. Okay, what about the kingdom? Let's look at the kingdom of Christ. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. <clears throat> look at the kingdom. Flip to the back. Back to the front, I mean. The kingdom of Christ. We've already covered it, but I'm going to call your attention back to it. <clears throat> and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to other people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. The kingdom of Christ forever. What about the return of Christ? Well, we covered that in chapter 7, verse, uh, chapter seven, verse 13 and 14. I just read some of that, but I'll read a little bit more. <clears throat> chapter 7, verse, look with me at verse 23. Thus he said, and as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth, trample it down, break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and then another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down the three kings. Jump over to verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions shall serve and obey him. Daniel's having visions of earthly kingdoms that will one day be overcome and under the rulership of Christ. And at the very end is the return. Of Christ. Okay, let me give you then some theological themes, some things that I think you take away from the book of Daniel, even as confusing as it can be. Chapters one through six, you read and like, man, that's so good. I see these stories. Every chapter is just one story. All of them tell me some great lesson. 
chapter 7 begins, and it gets bizarre. Very difficult to read. You have to read it with a big view, and don't get too far into the detail because then it becomes subjective. What do we know? That Christ is king, and he will defeat all kingdoms. Okay, some theological themes in Daniel. Here's the first one. This book teaches us that God really is sovereign. He really is in control. And he really does control kingdoms. That he really does pick up who he wants and puts down who he wants. That, that we don't, you know, we've got an election coming up. And I think that every Christian should vote and do so your conscience. If you want to, the, the best we can for society, we believe God's ways are, the, are good ways but we're not so consumed, we think the end, that the end comes based on one four-year term. What we remember, and this is a comfort to us, is that God really is sovereign. Took the most powerful man at the time, Nebuchadnezzar, knocked him off the throne. So he would say, oh, you know what? God is sovereign. Uh, here's a second theological theme. Number two. When you read this book, you find out everybody worships something. We all worship something. It opens up with the contents of the temple out of the temple of the Lord. They're taken to a Babylonian temple. Those Babylonians, they worship something. Chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image of himself for people to do what? Worship. Chapter 5, Belshazzar praises his God using vessels from the Lord's temple. Chapter 6, Enemies of Daniel commits the king to command prayers to himself so Daniel will be out in the cold. Everybody worships something. You read chapter 7 and 8, you're in the minutia, but the two, there are two horns in chapter 7 and 8. Those two horned figures act against the true worship of God. Chapter 11, worship is interrupted by blasphemous rulers and part of this vision. The, the whole book teaches us <clears throat> every one of you here worships something. And Daniel is the book that says, worship the true, the one true God in Jesus. A third thing. <clears throat> Daniel teaches us that faithfulness, faithfulness honors God. I mean, isn't that the lesson you don't want to make it too moralistic. But they are here for our example. Isn't it the lesson of the Hebrew children? Isn't that the lesson of Daniel? That faithfulness honors God. That sometimes it's going to be costly. Sometimes it puts you at risk. Sometimes you'll be in danger. But God honors that. That's what the whole book is about. Even those who are in exile. That's chapters 1, chapter 3, chapter 6. Let me have fourth. Uh, theme. <clears throat> God reveals to us what he wants us to know. He's not going to tell you everything. A lot of you sitting in this room right now, part of your life has asked you to, has caused you to ask the question, why? God reveals to us. Chapters two and chapter four, they have to do with dreams. God used that in that day and time. Revealed things. Chapter 5, he took an unattached hand 
and wrote on a wall a message that had to be decoded by somebody else. Chapter 5, that's how he revealed himself. Chapter 7 through 12 are these bizarre visions about the future and about the end. He's revealing himself. And for us, how does God reveal himself? God has given us a book, his word, that has pointed us to Christ, point us to the gospel and the truth. God chooses what he's going to reveal and what he wants us to know. And he has no obligation to us to tell us everything. Uh, here's a fifth one. Daniel tells us that the, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you read chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, there's Daniel, the fear of the Lord. Chapter 5, 11, through 11 or 12, is the fear. God uses that. Oh, here's the sixth one. Or do we get out at 725 or 730? Do y'all remember? 730. I get five minutes to get through a few more points. Number six. <clears throat> God judges all sin. That's what Daniel, it's not a triumphal book about God's people. It's a reminder of God and he judges. I mean, it opens up in verses one and two of chapter one. Israel is being judged by God. He's using the Babylonians to judge Israel. He gives Judah to Nebuchadnezzar as judgment. Chapter four uh, verse 28 to 37, God humbles the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. He judges Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 5, verse 26 to 30, he, he writes the judgment of Babylon and Belshazzar on the wall, and then he kills Belshazzar. It's judgment. Chapter, chapter 7, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 25. Uh, all of those, chapter 7, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 25, there's a depiction of God's judgment on those little horns that show up in those two chapters. Chapter 9, 1 through 19, we're told exile was God's judgment. God judges all sin. Let me give you a seventh one. God is able to deliver us. Think about it. Isn't that what uh, the first six stories tell us about God's deliverance? Chapter 3, he delivers the four youths, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, chapter 4, God, chapter four, God strikes Nebuchadnezzar with insanity and then delivers Nebuchadnezzar out of the insanity. Chapter 6, Daniel is delivered out of the lion's den, angel with a snow white wing. You know what chapter 12 is? is this great vision. Chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 is a picture of the day of resurrection and when the righteous, the, the righteous dead will be delivered from the dust. Resurrection is deliverance. I'm going to give another theological thing. I just wrote down dominion. It just When you read Daniel, it's about an hour and a half of going through and you get on the back end of this, this book and you realize God is king. God is king. This is his world. He rules, does what he wants. Chapter 4 teaches that with Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 6 teaches that with Darius. He does what he wants. Uh, here's another. This is too long, but I don't know how else to say it. The ninth theme. 
God can give his, God can give his children abilities that cause even unbelievers to appreciate God. God could give you, as a, as a child of God, he can give you an ability that God will use to have unbelievers say, oh, he's got something special. I thought about Brian Harrell, our missionary in Mozambique. Uh, they're home about once every four years or so. And he does all this crazy spear fishing. And the, the natives there in Mozambique that are close to where he lives, they want to be close to him. Because they think whenever he comes, fish jump in his net. That's what they think. And he shows up and they just come. They appreciate there's something about what he can, what he can do. God does that sometimes. Uh, here's a tenth one. <clears throat> Don't assume that God will always rescue us from harm. Because he won't. When you read chapter 3, um, in chapter 3, verse 16, 17, and 18, it's that, it's that famous passage where he brags on God, God can deliver, and then he tempers it. But if he doesn't, because he may not, he's not obligated to. If he doesn't, he's still God and we won't bow down to what you're trying to get us to do. There's no assurance. God does not always rescue Number 11, <clears throat> the Lord will judge the kingdoms of the world and replace them with the true king. That's what Daniel is about. That chapter 7, verses 9 through 14, God will judge the kingdom of the, all the kingdoms of the world and he will, at the consummation, replace them with the one true king. Uh, a twelfth one, Babylonian exile was not the last judgment on Israel. They kept being judged. They kept rebelling. They kept being judged. Chapter 13, um, read, especially chapter, I said chapter 13, the 13th theme. I got carried away today. I, can, I recognize that. But let me just finish it. <laughs> Prayer is a key weapon in spiritual warfare. Chapter 9 is one chapter of prayer. That's what God is going to use in your life. Another thing, 14. <clears throat> Believers are to be patient and faithful in a hostile world. That's what chapter 11, the vision, verse 33, 4, and 5. Be patient and faithful. And I'll end with this. Last chapter 12 teaches us that God, <clears throat> he rules over all the events of history. And he's bringing that history to a consummation, to the end, to his planned end. And at the end, he will finally cleanse and deliver his people. Took me the whole hour to tell you. Daniel says, we win. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that you can read this book and you've given us that we can find hope and joy and strength and your power here. Strengthen us with it, Lord. Give us a new hope. Father, we pray that you would wake us up tomorrow morning and enough time to spend time with you, that you would bring us back Sunday with our hearts ready to sing with joy, to have the word preached and to honor the Lord Jesus. We come to you in his name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.